Hello, and welcome to Home Age Conversations, a podcast about the residents. I'm Mole, and I think tuna is just delicious. I'm Rabbit, and Nasty says hello. I'm Cat, and I think tuna should be outlawed. It's disgusting, looks smelly. And I'm Mew, and I just had a bacon cheeseburger with two patties. Spoiler reference. It is a reference. In tunas. Also known as intruders. So intruders is um, the most I th- the as most recent recording. residents album. It's inspired by the persistence of obsession, and it focuses on the unseen and uncontrollable spirits stuck in the seams of our minds, which is. Man. The songs are about doubles, doppelgangers, alter egos, alternate selves. A lot of focus on identity here, ironically or unironically enough. And the sound has been described as atmospheric, paranoia-tinged, yet oddly accessible. I would agree with that. It does sound very, like, it sounds very nightmarish to me. A little bit. So, uh, Intruders follows um, a more literal album, Ghost of Hope. Um, and it comes after the end of, um, the Randy Chuck and Bob trilogy. Uh, so yeah, this is in the new era of the residents known as the real residents. Um, this is, oh God, outdated. Um, and you can see them, um, in the, in the physical release, either the CD or the vinyl. Um, a little picture of them, which is, uh. Tyrone, Iki, Erky, and Cha-Cha, or whatever the names are, doesn't really matter. So the sound on this album, like, compared to Ghost of Hope and a lot of their previous releases, I mean, it's markedly different, but not in the straightforward way that a lot of the um, stylistic changes between albums have been. Um, Because this album, the sound of it, um, in terms of instrumentation, vocals, so forth and so on, changes wildly between tracks and even within tracks themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, when you compare, oh, the sound of uh, certain tracks on here and their live renditions, um, you know, because in In Between Dreams, um, which is this... Intruders had tracks added into the set list, and by tracks, I mean one track, um, in addition to some upcoming tracks from the album Dying Dog. And when you compare those compositionally to um, the songs that have preceded it, it's preceded them, you know, it's, it's sort of a whole different world overall. It feels like there's been a change in tone, almost. Something sort of hard to describe in there. In a way, like, Intruders yeah. is kind of a, a stepping stone in sound. I'd like to say that it kind so, of gets you ready, and then uh, the upcoming album will throw you right into it. Mm. It's going to be fun. So, with in- Intruders, it's very... It's similar to other projects they've done in the past, wherein they're both <laughs> looking at the past and looking towards the future, such as we've seen in the American Composer series, we've forgotten Three Persons, QB, the Freak Show album, and uh, before their big CD-ROM endeavors, this Freak Show album, I mean, uh, the DVDs of previous work, you know, between DDA and Animal Lover. You know, they're looking at subject matter that they've touched on in the past, 
you know, themes of duality and doubles are prominent and show up in, like, <laughs> a large majority of Residence projects. So, it even goes as far back as Violinless Fats with Arf and Omega. Mm -hmm. And then in the 80s, you've got The Replacement. Um, if you take, like, the theme of duality, at least in terms of, like, contrasting um, two individuals or two groups, you could even say that the Mole series is <clears throat> a part of this ongoing theme. And then, of course, God of Three Persons is... And then Tweedles is in, like, a whole lot of difficult, strange ways. Um, so is Bunny Boy, and so is even, like, Talking Light, because the mirror people. The mirror um, people. Mirror people. But even people. with, like, <laughs> they have themes of duality within the releases of projects, right? <clears throat> so they have the two-part release of Fingerprints and Baby Fingers, um, and for a while there in the 90s, they had a thing going where they would release an album and then tour it. Um, or release not an album, but release a project and then tour it. So you had that with Wormwood, you had that with Icky Flicks and Demon Stance Alone. It, even um, with the, uh, the duality and in, the, uh, in the releases, even something like Duck Stab and Buster and Glenn, they're like two parts, they're like doubles of each other, really. Which is kind of interesting considering Duck Stab and... Buster and Glenn aren't really super conceptual albums, but they still sort of, they, they're kind of, go together. They, they still have that theme that's present in like a majority of the residents' projects. Yeah, and another one of those um, <clears throat> ubiquitous themes, you know, is the theme of obsession. Obsession! 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 And so obsession, you get those themes of obsession with God and Three Persons. You get it with Freak Show with like Tex and Wanda um, and Benny and his wrestling lady. You get it with the Gingerbread Man. You River get of Crime. The Lover. River of Crime. Um, the Voice of Midnight. I, I... And you see it with the Randy Chuck and Bob trilogy. And it shows up <clears throat> pretty blatantly and I think interestingly. And Brick Eaters. I, um... And that's just the ones where it's made, like, a major point. But you can see it in so many of their works. It's ridiculous. And Intruders, like many of those other projects, is story-driven. Um, and so, within Intruders, you know, the varied sound, the varied kinds of stories in there, it all seems like nods to previous works in so many different ways and almost very directly with still needy um so intruders has a lot of the blend of the new and the old like that and another way it does this is with the collaborators on there um these are a lot of familiar names but also a couple of unfamiliar names and semi-familiar names so you get you know, Nolan Cook, Lori Hall, Peter Whitehead, uh, Sivan Lion Cub, who was brought on by a certain fellow who you may know from... Everything. Everywhere. He's done everything ever. Um, oh, what's his name? It's uh, Eric Drew Feldman. I think it's time to actually talk about the tracks on the album. Luckily for everybody, we have these categorized in a different sort of order. See, with the variety of themes that show up in the album, we thought it might be useful to categorize them not by, you know, the order they were put in on the album, because, like, eh, it's so 
especially when so many <laughs> especially when the vinyl releases in a kind of different order so kind so of. we organized them by the themes that seemed apparent um to us so the first theme that we're going to start off here with is the tracks with a certain focus on the idea of doppelgangers doppelganger i hardly know <laughs> so the track we're starting with here in discussion is good vibes yeah. Well, okay. Very spoken. Can we word. just first off? Why is it called good vibes? Because uh, there are the, guy. the vibes. <laughs> yeah, the vibes in this uh, song are very not good. Um, I would even say. The guy is I would go so far as to yeah. say they're bad. They're bad vibes. They're there's there's not even spooky, any vibraphones vibe, to a certain extent in this song. I don't think so. There's no Zero reason. Out of left. ten, when is Carla going to do something about this? Um. I think, uh, musically, I mean, overall, the track really reminded me of, um, Night Train to Nowhere, um, and the whole, um, ghost, Randy's Ghost Stories. Oh, man, I love Randy's Ghost Stories. That is an essential October listen. Oh, for sure. It's got kind of a meandering, suspicious, dark, like, modern residence kind of feel to it. Um. To me, it could vibes almost like it, it read... Like, it it felt almost like a like a screenplay, like stage directions. Yes. I mean, it's genuinely one of the creepier residence tracks like ever. Yes. Um, because all of these tracks are accompanied with stories, except for one of them. And, I mean, this one, this whole album just really points to the fact that if a Resonance album comes with stories, it comes with stories for a reason. Yes. Uh, like, hmm. the story, you could... Like I said, it, it read very much like like stage directions or like some kind of like like a script. Like you could like very visually see what was yeah. going on. Yeah. Like, stand, sitting there, like you could picture almost all of it like vividly and it's just this... I I think it's because the the actual not the lyrics but just the written story that goes along with the track, yeah. it has a lot of details, yeah. uh, just visual details. Yes. And then the the track itself with the lyrics, or rather the spoken word, um, is very. It, it's filled with a lot of personality, so it just gives you a very good, complete picture of this weird scenario. It captures what I think is a pretty essential residence theme is contrasting this really dark horrifying strange incomprehensible stuff with a little bit of humor yeah um because after all these intense descriptions of seeing you know oh like where the story is very very strange it actually reminds me a lot of the story for tongue off of demons dance alone I, yeah, I, I brought it up a lot because uh, in that, the, well, wives of Tongue, usually they, it goes fine for a while and then suddenly they rapidly lose weight and die. Yeah, and within the story for um, <clears throat> Good Vibes, this dude is essentially withering away um, as after um, he sees the continuous appearance of his doppelganger outside of his window and they both seem to wither away in parallel. Um, in tandem. In tandem, thank you. 
Brothers in arms, you starve, I starve. Yay, it's a starvation pact, like a suicide pact, only slower. I don't know. It's it's very it's it's just so weird. I know. It's weird. And then they bring in the humor because the best line I think in residence history I'm sitting here now eating a bacon cheeseburger with with two patties. <laughs> I was listening through the album with a with a friend of mine and uh, after he heard that line like the first thing he said was what is this song? <laughs> <laughs> it he got all the way to the end before he was like, what is this song? <laughs> yeah. It was kind of like background and then you heard that line. Uh, this song kind of reminds me like of, uh, of the bunny boy and how there's this weird thing going on. It's weird. He's not, he's, he's kind of like understanding that there's this weird I know. thing going it's on, weird. but he doesn't fully believe it. He's not completely crazy, Grass. but like he kind of is, but not really. <laughs> Yeah. Right. It's, it's it's very vague. It's almost putting you in, in its in their headspace, where it's like, what the, what the heck? What's going on? What the H? What? Okay. All right. So it sounds like I'm crazy, but I'm dying. <laughs> and of course, there's the trademark singing resident. Um, can you even call it a line? I don't know what it is, but it's the okay. Yeah, all right. right. Okay. The weight loss thing is getting um, scary. And he's right. It is. It is. What, um, what did he drop down to again? Sixty-eight pounds. Even though he's eating, oh. he's eating, you know, double bacon cheeseburgers. So it turns it's out the intruder in this story is a tapeworm. And with that, let's move on to <laughs> running away. All right, now I can. Which say. is our other doppelganger track. This track is actually, I th um. It's a bit of an anomaly, right? Because with most of these stories, they, um, the song and the, the story that accompanies it are from the same perspective. There's this guy and his life is going in, um, it's getting sucked down the sewer just like manure, sucked down the sewer in the Big Apple. <laughs> and one day he just wakes up and he's like, man, I'm gonna go to a baseball game. So he goes to a baseball game and he gets all ready to head out and then as he gets there, he arrives at the precise moment at which the bus is pulling away. And so the story is from that perspective, but the lyrics are actually from the perspective of, well, maybe not the doppelganger, because who knows who is who. Yeah. The one in the but bus. Whoever, the version of this man that's on the bus, yeah. Um, is the one that is singing the song and it almost i don't it's very strange right because <laughs> i mean of big surprise it's weird i know the story is telling um basically about how terrible this guy's life is and it seems like the version of this guy that's on the bus knows this you know saying that the other him was anxious abandoned and alone um that's where the the name of the track is Reference this 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 track to me was quite uh, disorienting. They all are, but I was like, okay, I got this. I got this intruders thing down. This one's about a guy who sees his his double. Okay, been there, done that. And then like when the track starts actually playing, it's like, wait, wait a minute, hey, hold up. <laughs> and, uh, and then you realize it's about the other guy, and. 
Uh, every, every track has just this this weird vagueness to it. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Just it gets in your mind. Um, Would you say it, it intrudes? An intruder. Yeah. Oh, the tracks become the, the intruders. So that's obsession. Did you say we become obsessed. It's, it's, it's like a bear trap. And I, th- the, I think the way that the this still kind of baffles me. I'm not quite sure what it means. Um, but the fact that the track itself is called Running Away, it's sort of like, I mean, this is something that also shows up in Good Vibes, right? Trying to escape, um, they're, they're, yeah, they're doppelganger, um, to escape this, uh, this fate of theirs that seems to be constantly pursuing them. Because we've got the last verse here. I've just pulled it up because it says closing it around was the sound of disbelief, the nothingness of grief, the color of conceit, the odor of deceit, conceit and deceit. I'm sorry, and the emptiness of need and the meaningless of me. It's such a and it's like good line of rhymes. It is, it is. But it's like, is he talking about? Is bus boy talking about bus boy? Is he talking about bus stop boy? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, is he saying that it's closing it around himself? Or himself. Here's the thing, like... <laughs> if that makes sense. Both of them, in a way, are are running away. Just one of them actually got to go to the baseball game and, and distract himself. Yeah. While the other one is like... Just, I don't know, you, we don't know what happens to him, but, but... Could it be, though, could it possibly be, here's something to consider, that one of them is not leading that downtrodden life that's what i was thinking because in the story he was wait like the story the the one in the story he says that the him on the bus was waving at him almost you know you don't i don't know about you guys i don't typically wave at people when i'm feeling the weirdest honestly the creepiest detail in the entire thing because you're just like well what yeah. What do you do with that? How do you, how do you respond to your doppelganger just waving to you on a, on a bus driving away? <laughs> As yeah, it gets what you want. That'd be a hard thing. To uh, respond. It's to. like okay, for good vibes, it seems like the two of them are completely intertwined, and for running away, they're as separate as can be. That's true, man. What's the name of the line? What is it? Intersecting line where they cross once oh, and then never again. Oh no, I'm not good at math, girl. You can't ask me this. An X. Okay, I think it's time to move on to alternate selves. Yep. Okay. I would like to say that um, running away, it um, reminds me a lot of uh, the replacement. Ooh. Ooh. Oh yeah. Because uh, not only is mm. he being replaced by himself, basically, but at the end. He's realizing he's become meaningless because he's replaced. Mm, and you're, you're, yeah. you're left wondering, it, is he really bringing roses? Yes. Alternate selves. Alternate selves, yes, 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 yes. Does anybody want to lead this one? Uh, it's a lesbian, so I might as well. <laughs> so, Bobby's... Burning blue. My favorite hot sauce. Oh, what a great opening track. I like, when I first heard this track, um, I was, 
I don't know. It has a sort of a, a nostalgic sound to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it sounds very fuzzy. And, str- you know, obviously it has the lyrics for Burn and Love incorporated in there. So overall, it's it's very... Oh, I'm remembering. <laughs> to, to, uh, to me, um, yeah. it's an interesting way to start off the album because we got... Um, just the new collaborators immediately out the gate with this song. I think it's a it's a weird one to start off with. It makes sense, but it's also at the same time. When I when I picked up Intruders and I saw the first track was called Bobby's Burning Blues, I was like, what kind of album is this gonna be? Yeah, and I mean you get this um, juxtaposition of something familiar, so the the song that they're referencing and then you get Savon Lion Cub on here, uh, on vocals. And so, you know, you get a little bit of the new, a little bit of the old. So we've got Bobby, who has a wife, which I respect. And she basically got the feeling that, not the feeling, it's basically blatantly told you that she's she's bored of her monotonous everyday life, where she, uh, she goes to work, she kisses her wife, and kids to school, drives to work, goes home, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but then it's, oh, she kind of snaps a little bit. She kind of, oh, she snapped. She did that. She uh, finds someone inside herself. She, her name is Roberta. She finds Bobby. And she becomes an arsonist. As, yeah. As one does. I hate when that happens. And then you've got the song, which, uh, let's just address that particular elephant. She does burn the house down with her family inside, right? I did not come to that conclusion. Um. But listen to this. Like, in the lyrics, it says, nothing, you know, she's talking about nothing makes me higher than the sweet song of fire. I long to see their faces lit up by the glow. Fascinated by the gnawing ugliness I know. Why would I cause suffering and why may I take why would I make pain? Why would I ignite the incandescent light of flames when I see? I thought you were just going up and burning like going out there and burning other people's houses. Because within the story, um, here's my counter argument. The way it says Bobby lives until this horror of heat is eaten, consumed by the blaze, and it, it engenders, roasted, baked, and broiled in the roar it craves until the next time. There can only be so many next times of burning down your house with your family inside. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, there's no, I would say there's no proof that she doesn't murder her family um, in a horrible arson attack. <laughs> um I think it's. I think it's. Then an why interesting... mention it though? Like, why mention how bored she is with her family? Because it it, it shows like the motivation for Bobby's existence. I, I think that that's a valid interpretation of the song that she's doing it this time. She she snapped to the max in this specific song. You could interpret it that way. So she murdered. She she lit up random houses before, and now she's burning her own house. You you could interpret it like that. I personally interpret it as she's just burning down a random house. Again. I think she loves her family very much. I'd like to think so. Um, but that's just it, where my mind went to immediately. Because I, I guess well, I'm that's just because you have dark. Problems. 
I do have problems. <laughs> um, I, I think it sort of follows this, I mean, this kind of follows from River of Crime, right? The tendencies, people who do criminal acts, like, the tendencies they have when, um, their sort of alternate life is so completely unlike, um, detached from their, um, their, their normal life is so detached from their criminal life. Um, they do what they can to keep those things separate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the maintenance of the monotony depends on the ability of Bobby to thrive. And the way they describe um, the, the doppelganger kind of like alternate self aspect is so beautiful. I mean, this is Oh, one of my favorite residence things I've ever read. Bobby is, <clears throat> like, purged, driven out, and stuffed inside a psychic crack called Bobby. Bobby is the key that unlocks Roberta's cage. Bobby is the rapture wrapped around her rage. Bobby fills her emptiness with ecstasy and flames. I mean, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. The way that uh, oh. fire is described in the song reminds me a lot of uh, Shroud of Flames from Ghost of Hope. Like, that just... There's a lot yeah. of vivid imagery of, uh, of um, fire, flames. And fire is like a metaphor for passion, obviously, um, because her monotonous sort of suburban life is seems lacking in passion, um, as much as it is filled with a, a sort of milk toast kind of love. Um, she strikes me as a very intense individual. And a desire repressed comes back three times as strong as the saying goes. Damn. Shall we move on to Frank's Lament? This one's strange. I know. It's weird. This one I was very... I feel like this one's the most abstract. I think there are more abstract songs yeah. in this album, but this one is definitely weird. I know. It's weird. This one feels almost like a, a Twilight Zone just the atmosphere of it, it feels very Twilight Zone-y. Also, because it's like... It's not as, like, in line and focused. That's what I mean. Like, it's not... It's not as straightforward as I think Bobby's Burning Blues is with the alternate self, because it's sort of built around the doubt that this other self even exists, or if he's just a part of the narrator's mind. I... Like, it's, like, almost as, like, is... He's almost struggling with, like, a kind of, like is this him or is this not him? Like, is he him or is he somebody else? Or does that make sense? That's kind of like, yeah. is he really a pilot or does he really merely imagine? I, he's I a almost, <laughs> is he really there looking over his shoulder? Like, I you know what I mean? That, does he have alligator shoes? <laughs> that the, the other, um, the person he's talking about, I th when I was first listening to the song was maybe just like the computer autopilot. And he's wondering, is he really in control? Or if it's just a computer, but then he he talks about how at the end of the song how he cannot separate him from an echo in his soul. So it's like, and that he's only maybe in his mind. So it's so yeah. It's I think weird. this is something that happens a lot with all these weird. Um, alternate selves. Um, it, you see it in Bobby's Burning Blues, right, where this alternate self becomes a response to their environment and their internal worries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and they're so potent, and they're so... I mean, they intrude so powerfully that 
they become almost tangible. Um, if not physically, like as, as a whole separate person, then in their effect. They become an intruder. E well, I, I'd like to note that this actually might be the, the track may, maybe people are most familiar with because this was actually released a year prior for the I Am A Resident thing for those who pledged. Yeah, it was an early demo version of it and who boy that guitar makes a world of difference. They also added, um, they also added some... I, I can't exactly... There's something to it that they added, and I it, feel it has a different... I, I don't even... A more lively. A certain I don't even remember the demo, because I listened to it, like, once, and I was like, um, I'll listen to it again when the when the album's out. Um, so I didn't, I didn't <laughs> want... I didn't, you know, gee, you didn't hope they fix it. <laughs> no, I just... I didn't want to spoil myself too much. Uh, yeah, you're like that, yeah. Uh, oh. But I actually, Rabbit, I'm gonna contest you on that. Oh. I don't think it's oh. the it's the track that people are going to know best, and this is how I'm going to move us into the haunted by objects section. I think the track people are going to know best is Voodoo Doll. Ugh. Voodoo Doll. You have a good point, because that's the single. Voodoo Doll should be playing on every radio station ever, every day until the day we all die, which honestly is. Sooner than we'd right like around to the think. corner. Yeah, um, it slaps. Uh, you know, I just thought it about slaps. something. Didn't they have like? Didn't they say Voodoo Doll was just the first single, and they had more? I mean, I guess the the other single right, right. is the Intruder. It's it's definitely to me. It's it's my new my new easy listening President's track where I just will will put it on randomly because it's so good and it's very easily digestible on its own. There's actually, yeah, there's a video out for it, too. It's awesome. Can I just say, the guy in the video looks like I know who the you're Six Flags guy. <laughs> he does, he does. I was gonna say, I he know looks exactly like the Venga bus just dropped him off. <laughs> um, it's so good. Those Carla notes. The, the, uh, the story. The oh story is very simple it's a guy walking down the street um he gets hit by a voodoo doll and it looks exactly yeah. like him when i like because you know i'm sitting in there and like i read the stories and so when i read the stories for bonnie bobby's burning uh blues i was like all right i can kind of see where they're what direction they're heading with this and they went to they i got to voodoo doll and i was like whoa this does not fit in with my expectations. I don't know where to go from here. It kind of shook up the preconceptions I had made from the first track. You know what I mean? Like, you get this, it's very evident that it's like, all right, there's an intruder that's, you know, herself, almost like intrusive thoughts or other such things. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, here's just a voodoo doll. I, what the hell? I, you know, with... um. Nowadays, every time like I listen to a Residence thing, especially a new one that I haven't listened to, I look for metaphors, and this was mm -hmm. no exception. So yes, I was reading over the story and like listening to the lyrics and stuff. And I was thinking, is there a metaphor here, or is it really just <sighs> that? That's every single song yeah. in Intruders for me. It's like, what what is there to get here? There's, there's got to be something. I'm not getting it, and it's gonna be stuck in my mind forever trying to figure it out. But uh. Just every track is so 
just weird and mysterious. I mean, I it's weird. who did throw the voodoo doll at him? The, the, the voodoo doll looks like him, so it's clearly, you know, voodoo doll of him. There's just... And it's filled with, like, hundreds of pins. Yeah, which is just, like, again, uh, to, to, to bring up ah! a point I brought up earlier, like, what do you do after that happens to you? And then the... <laughs> <laughs> you just go home, man. You just go home and go to sleep. I try to poke it with one more needle to see if it works. <laughs> I give it a nice massage. I'd pet the guy. I would name him Ron. I... Never mind, I'm not going to say that. We'd get into real dark territory real quick. <laughs> yeah, so these, there's another track where it seems like there's the same kind of conundrum of, like, what is going on here? Is it a straightforward as it may seem, and that would be this next track relating to being haunted by an object or an inanimate thing. The Scarecrow, the third track on this album. I have a take That's I'd like to do. Jackson. Yes. So, I'm thinking now, what if they made all these songs more literal? So they just drive us into our own obsession for trying to find. I mean, people. that's that was my initial take of the album. Was just like, I'm confused. Hey, wait a minute. Now the album is an intruder. Is an intruder. Yeah. Ah, all the songs are intruders because they intrude upon your every waking moment. You just sit there puzzling and trying to piece it all together, and and one piece doesn't fit. And you're like, I'm gonna make you fit, damn it, etc. My 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 real intruder from this <laughs> album is the old artwork that they had for it. Whatever happened to ah. that picture? What, what, what was it again? It was like the was really like, weird was distorted teeth. faces. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. As opposed to the really weird distorted faces we have now. Epic zebra print. <laughs> In this case, they still had their eyes. Well, normal eyes, that is. Their natural um, eyes. So the Scarecrow, I feel like, is the residents being like, Hey, everybody, did you know we like James Brown? In case you we forgot. We like James Brown. And you know what? They're right. They should say it. They should say Just, it. James Brown's dope. They never stopped. Yeah. I dig that thing he did towards the end there where, like, he'd, you know, do stuff and they'd put a cape on him and escort him away. That's awesome. I want to do that one day. I want that you to be can. my life. You can do that today. Um, I could do that today. I need to hire somebody. I'm going to go with Craigslist. Hire someone to put cape on me when I get tired. Cape boy! <laughs> my entire performance so but the story for the scarecrow is you get this dude this the look at this dude um and he's you know james brown has just died and they're playing his music on the radio and this guy's driving along and a scarecrow catches his eye out in the field and as he takes a closer look it appears to be wearing James Brown's bathrobe from this one photo where James Brown was arrested. And he keeps staring at this scarecrow, and then he notices that the scarecrow is also covered in crows. And the lyrics are pretty simple. Um... Literally just being the scarecrows covered with crows and repeating, repeating and that. Suspicion. And suspicion. Oh my god. Residence. What? Residence. Again, like, if, if you were in this scenario, like, what are you to do? It almost 
there's it gave me this certain kind of vibe where it's like because it talks about how this dude like really liked james brown he really looked up to james brown i don't know this idea of like when you look up to someone so much and idolize so much someone so much but they're still very much human and that like when that really hits you when you realize that they're just as fallible and you know human as you are like they're just yeah a person. even elevating the like you know i think it ties back into like the cape thing you mentioned sort of the the performative aspect of it this very outward bold glittery kind of image that we craft of our idols but at the same time you know there will always be moments sometimes moments that last for longer than the moment of idolization of humanizing them and not being able to feel the same way know, yeah seeing which i think that's what it respect- seems like in yeah. this like something is tarnished and like this the image is just y- yeah ruined. and i think you know if you read the story there's a very there's a good amount of uh what's the word when you a juxtaposition <clears throat> uh when they're talking about the the picture that's that's a burn into the main protagonist's brain uh which is described as a mugshot have you guys seen that picture i yeah i have i have, I have. we can put it in the show notes um but it, it's a a mugshot of the godfather of soul reveals a sadly disheveled James Brown, reeking a pathos and wearing what appears to be the exact same robe. So it's, it's like, this is the godfather of soul, but it's also just not good. A mugshot yeah, of just some dude. An, of, you know, mugshots are never very, um, what is the word? Good looking. Um... <laughs> And then also just the fact that this this scarecrow is just abandoned in the middle of nowhere, covered with crows. So it's even it's even not doing its job of scaring crows away. It's it's abandoned by everyone. So it's almost like, you know, this this legacy. The world. Yeah, this legacy of James Brown is no more. And what this man stumbles upon is just this sort of relic the reality of, 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 of the yeah, past the reality of the situation. and how time has mm-hmm. moved on and so for the residents this seems almost like a cautionary tale to the fans and I mean they are not so bold or as lame um, to do something so straightforward but I mean it's something to take into consideration as fans of anything you know, you get obsessed with the image, but at the same time, you crave the reality. But you don't actually crave the reality. You crave the ability to solve the mystery, to see something that other people haven't seen, to, to you know, to know the secret. But the secret isn't actually something you want. I mean, <laughs> this actually reminds me of Gingerbread Man um, with Beware of What You Want. It Might Want You More. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you've got, like, James Brown's, like, career. Like, a lot of people, like James Brown, who were, like, supremely famous and well-accomplished, like, towards the end of their lives. Like, I'm pretty sure right before he did Blues Brothers, he was, like, at a major, like, low point in his career. Like, nobody... These people who, like James Brown, who, like, were absolutely idolized and celebrated for their, like, you know, spectacular talents, time goes by, 
the world moves on, taste changes, and who cares? And that's what I think is very emblematic about this, like, not only the idea of the mugshot, like, how far someone like that could fall, and the, the scarecrow, just a scarecrow with crows all over it. You know yeah. what I mean? We sent oh. our junior reporter, Sparky, out into the field. You got the scoop? To sit down, to talk with, with, uh, Mr. Feldman. We sent him armed with questions, comments, uh, mostly just questions and comments. And he came back with a slew of information that is absolutely indispensable. You and won't we, even believe half of it. You won't even believe yeah. half um, of it. At if you are a fan of the classic Boggs cast that Sparky did before, you're in for a treat because this is basically like a brand new episode of the Boggs cast right here. Plus, if you've listened to that original Eric Drew Feldman interview, you might have known that there was some background noise in his previous interview with him. And let's just say we followed that up and there's plenty of background. Nothing <laughs> there's changes. plenty of background noise in this interview, so... We apologize. Think of it as the, the <laughs> doppelganger to the podcast interview. Uh, without further ado, Sparky. Take it away! Take it away! Hey, take it away. April 34th, 2197, BT. Hello, everybody. Sparky here with the wonderful, talented multi-instrumentalist and composer Eric Drew Feldman. Say hello, Eric. Hello. I just want to clarify one thing you just said was it sounded like you said Erica Drew Feldman. And I do have a friend that she calls me Erica, but oh. I'd rather keep that under wraps. <laughs> so forget well, I said that, but it's my name is Eric. Let me, uh, let me do that again. <laughs> Eric <laughs> Drew Feldman. And we are sitting in a lovely, if not slightly noisy little French cafe here in a quiet corner of San Francisco. And, uh, it's a noisy cafe in a quiet corner. It is. And uh, anyway, I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you. So let's talk away. All right, so first, let's start by introducing yourself. Okay. Uh, I, my name is Eric Drew Feldman. I am... 63 years old, and I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, I currently and uh, gleefully uh, play with the residents. In my past, I've played with such luminaries as Captain Beefheart and the Pixies and PJ Harvey and Snakefinger and I'm sure I'm leaving out somebody but I loved playing with you just as much as any of those. How did you first become aware of the residents? Uh, before I moved to San Francisco, probably around 1979, in, uh, I was in LA and somebody gave me this mixtape and because uh, I was very un- involved with 
I knew all this new music was going on, but I was kind of busy. I was in my B-Fart days, and uh, on this mixtape there was uh, various things, and there was music from San Francisco, a lot of it. And I'd been thinking about moving there, but one of the uh, cuts on it, and I can't remember, I think I remember now, I don't know the real name of it, but I think it's... You know, the one where uh, it's a resident song, you know, where they're saying ships are going down. Oh, not available. Not available. I, I was thinking it was either that or Duckstab. I couldn't remember. And I just found it really beautiful and sad, and I really liked it. And um, and then there was also the spot was on it. And so I made it, when I decided to move up there, because I'd always lived in L.A., and part of the thing was because I was seeing a woman at that time that lived in uh, Vancouver, but that was a little too far. But I thought, well, San Francisco get me a little closer for riding the Green Tortoise or whatever it was called back then to get up to visit. And uh, So anyway, when I got to uh, San Francisco, I... Uh, you know, ended up in the lower hate uh, because where I still live today because I was interested in these synthesizers called Surge Synthesizers and the shop was right there, which I ended up living in for quite a while. And um, But I realized that the where the uh, residents were located, which was on the records, was this address, infamous address 444 Grove Street. So I thought, oh, that's right down over here, four blocks. So I walked over there and knocked on the door one day. And much to my surprise, somebody answered the door and let me in. And, uh, you know, that was kind of how we introduced it. And they were aware of me because I think they were acquainted to somewhat with the music of Captain Beefheart. And, uh, yeah, and... Uh, you know, we just started having chats. And to be honest, I was kind of sniffing around, like saying, here I am, new dope in town. Uh, you know, exploit me to your fullest. And what they did was uh, kind of push me towards Snakefinger. Because as I didn't know them, but it's be- kind of become aware of later, was he had done a couple records with them. And... I think they kind of wanted him to branch out and do something different and not be so... They were trying to push him out of the nest a little bit. And so they were kind of pushing him towards somebody else that perhaps he could collaborate and make records with. So I went over there to meet the residents but ended up really meeting Snake Ranger. But they were very pleasant guys, so we, you know, kept in touch. When did you first start actually working with the residents? Uh, really, I didn't do any official work with them until, I think it was 2002. And at that time, I'd been doing, the previous couple of years, a lot of touring with uh, Frank Black and, and PJ Harvey. And... Uh, I don't really, you know, it was, it's so, 
long ago, but I just remember they said, how would you like to, you know, tour with the residents? And I said, I'm in. And I, they wanted me to do another project before that one, but I wasn't available. But luckily they gave me another chance and it turned out to be Demon's Dance Alone. But it was really just to, to play live, which I really enjoy doing, but I'd much rather be part of the uh, recording process. Just put, you know, pee in every corner sort of. Uh. <laughs> so on that note, describe your current involvement with the residents. Um, well, that started on a similar note as in, in 2002 or 2001 or whatever when they actually called me they said uh, I was sort of given this spiel that uh, Charles Bobuck was kind of kind of getting through with touring and he didn't really want to do that anymore and would I be uh, you know interested in doing that and interestingly, my fascination over the years with the residents, though I didn't know it at the beginning, had a lot to do with the work of Mr. Hardy Fox. And so I was sort of slightly disappointed that he wouldn't be part of what I was doing. I'd be, you know, kind of doing what, replacing him in a sense. Yeah. And... Uh, now he's made it very clear that it was, you know, which was not up to me, but there was always room for him if he wanted to do something. And I'm, for like half of that touring, but he, it ended up he was still touring. Uh, he was like doing other things like stage sort of setup and lights and all this stuff on the first half of the Demon's Dance Alone shows. And I quite enjoyed doing that well I like the result it was my first experience with playing incognito and it's never particularly that much fun doing that it just you know it's it's a little claustrophobic and all that and, uh, but uh, and then we did that and then I for whatever reasons after that tour and I now know that that tour is considered a pretty high mark in their history, you know, and something to like a lot of people. And, but I didn't know that then. I didn't have the history thing. And whatever their next project was, I was not, you know, asked to do it. And everything had seemed pleasant. And when I saw them again next, you know, like six months later or a year later, and I was kind of kidding, but I said, well, I was sorry that I was fired. You know, because I really enjoyed it. And they, they both kind of frowned at me like they didn't get it as a joke. And they said, that's not what it's about, you know. But I know they were they were really working on making things smaller. And yeah. I think they had probably decided that it was more cost efficient to have Charles Bobuck doing what he always did. was, you know, being up on stage and playing some form of synthesizers. And... Um, and then it went on till, I'm going to guess it was about 2015, 
And we had this sort of same meeting with the three of us, and they were kind of explaining what they'd been up to for the last couple of years, and, and uh, you know, wanted me to, to do it. And I said, I think I can do that now for a while. And I said, you know, I would love it. Uh, but, you know, just know that it's okay if you want to fire me again. <laughs> it's quite all right. I won't take it personally. <coughs> Charles Bobak. Adamant that he really didn't want to do it anymore. And um, in terms of going on tour. And uh, so pretty much that's, you know, that's how that started. And that we were doing a um, tour that was called Shadowland, and that had started with Charles Bobak. Had been going for a while, <coughs> but I got into about a year of it. And when once I did it and felt in and saw what it was required of me to do, I kind of went. I kind of saw what Charles Bobak was doing, and I went, "Well, I think I could do, I could do it my way. It would be a little different, and it would be more interesting to me." And I meant no resistance from, uh, from uh, Randy Rose or Bob, and uh, you know, it just started. It just kind of went from there. And then the next thing after that was, I guess, talking about making a record that became Intruders. And, and then we, you know, after somewhere during that or before it, I, you know, I'm really bad on timelines. But we also started, you know, we did a show of a bunch of uh, new old songs, you know, uh, and it was that was called uh, In Between Dreams and so at least I got to approach that that uh, version of the live residence with an open slate and kind of figure out for myself what, what I should do so and then you know I was really pleased that you know I was asked to co-produce and, you know, record and contribute to the next Residence record. I think I did this one song, you know. Randy Rose. Called me one day and said, hey, I have to, you know, the Residents have to do this song for this artist in France. You know, and he's got an ex exhibit at the Pompidou or something. And, uh, you know, I've got a, I've sort of got a song here. It was a song called Doors. And, uh, you know, he sent me a demo of it. And, you know, I got some multi-tracks of it and, re, you know, saved a little bit of it and re-recorded it. And it was a blast. It sounded, uh, you know, and he liked it and we sent it to this guy. And so we were kind of on the way. And then the next thing was starting to do songs from uh, that became... Uh, Intruders. So, speaking of Intruders, um, this is a very unique album, and on it we hear... Oh, sorry. Of course. Here's my... Uh, and then we'll go there. 
but I left. I knew there was something like, oh, this is too pat. There was a record in between that was called uh, The Ghost of Hope. That is correct. Because I was thinking, like, I know I've done more than just... Intruders to me is still current almost, and uh, even though it's been done for almost a year. Um, Ghost of Hope, which some of the tracks had been started by, uh, you know, I mean, they were all kind of started by... Randy Rose. Charles Bobuck had worked on some of them, and and some he hadn't, and so I was still kind of trying to wasn't sure of my my ground and what the what the parameters were, wasn't stepping on somebody's feet and blah blah blah. But I could pretty much tell by then Charles Bobuck interested in being part of it. So, but we managed to get a record done. And a great and one of that. I, I I thought it was really interesting. I realized that it's not. I think a lot of people are. I don't know. I don't know how much people really liked it, but I think it's really good. <laughs> you know, it's really tone poemy, and and I think the, you know, the idea of the you know lyrics, you're gonna call them that are all from old newspaper accounts. Is you know it's pretty brilliant and it's uh, there's certainly nothing else like it out there. Yeah, and so and musically it's a really unique album. It kind of kind of goes takes you on a train ride, so to speak. Yeah, it kind of hits numerous uh, numerous genres, and, but still stays a little more period at the same time, and, but still being very ghostly and spooky, like only the residents can do. Which is a place where, in my own way, I kind of live too, uh, you know, in slightly down dark caves and stuff. So, uh, you know, and I found it really fun to kind of, you know, butt heads with some of Charles Bobak tracks and, you know, to figure out what was important. And I was adding things on them. And, it, you know, at the beginning I was like, Oh, is this okay? Is, I was afraid it's just like putting a, mes- a mustache on the Mona Lisa or something. <laughs> and uh, but you know, nobody uh, nobody complained. You know, so uh, you know we just continued on, and I real that's when I kind of realized, yeah, Charles Bobuck. He's sort of you know in his mind, he's just moved on, and uh, so it was okay. I was just really at first I was trying to deal with both of them, and then I was just doing. Uh, Randy Rose. So, on Intruders, we hear familiar voice, we hear a very familiar guitar, but everything else sounds very fresh and new. Um, what was your role, and how did you contribute in the creation of Intruders? Well, only in the sense that I didn't have any other than some, you know, fairly rough demos uh, from uh, from Randy Rose. Uh, the Charles Bobak. The element was completely not non-existent at this point, so it was more open, and I felt more confident in this world. So, and I also listened, and you know, just judging from. The past uh, on numerous records of theirs, they always had guest 
you know, players. And I was always, you know, kind of going, not that it really matters, but trying to find out, like, who am I in this? Am I, am I a resident or am I a guest player? And, because, uh, you know, they always made jokes out of it, but they were happy to, you know, as they put it, I always think it was kind of a joke, but it exploit my presence, like, you know, I said at least 10 or 15 more people will know who you are, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and, and therefore, guests, I just knew some of the musicians that I know that uh, I thought could be part of this, and, uh, you know, literally, it's just, I always like the sound of the female vocals on some of their songs. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've always found such unique and powerful female vocals. Yeah. Going back from the very beginning. Sure. And I'm never sure now, you know, exactly whose voice was who. I mean, I know Laurie Amott was on things. And yeah. I was familiar with her, but I don't know which voices she were. I always thought some of them were, but I don't know that, was uh, this... Was a wife resident, of, uh, named resident wife, and I always just went, That must be resident wife singing, you know. But I don't know, you know, they didn't really talk about it. And then I, for a long time, I before even the residents, I was a Carla Fabrizio fan, and I, she was a friend around town. And uh, but anyway, I just, talented lady. yes, you know, very impressive, uh, intimidatingly talented. And uh, so that was it. But you know, just uh, so along the lines of new collaborators, I believe that you were in charge of bringing on Savannah. Yeah, I don't know if you know who she is, but she's a, a young woman around town. She's from a woman, uh, from a a band called uh, Everyone Is Dirty, and uh, who I had just become uh, acquainted with them because I went to look at a possible studio to record for me in projects and they happen to be anybody that's kind of looked at studios or been recording in a studio part of the thing you have to put up with is somebody coming while you're working and saying you know they say oh is it okay if somebody walks around in here for 15 or 20 minutes and some people are like get it and some people are like you know, it breaks the flow, so it depends what they're doing, but they were very friendly, and they were recording in there, and I, I said, can I just hear what you're working on? And I really enjoyed it, and kind of, uh, I think was originally thinking of, maybe there's a place for, you know, I would like thinking, like, hmm, I wouldn't mind producing this, and being involved in it musically, it seemed fresh and fun, but... Um, I don't know. It took years. I mean, that was like five or six years ago, I think. But after, but after a few years ago, after a few years went by, uh, I don't know. I just found myself having phone calls, and I, I met Sivan in here a couple times, just talking in this in this very cafe, this very cafe, in this very table, in this <laughs> secluded corner. I was drinking out of this cup. The same cup of water. Yeah. Or vodka or gin. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, we just talked, and uh, she started coming by the house, and we recorded a few things together, and we're, 
entertaining the idea of doing a little project together. We've already given it a name, and uh, so anyway, we, uh, you know, I just thought, I'll give it a try. She was not really familiar with the resonance, and uh, I asked her to, to sing a song and play a little violin, and the first song we did turned out to be a song called Bobby's Burning Blues, and uh, I was like, wow, this song's... This sounds totally like the residents and not like anything I've heard. So that, you know, was the beginning of that. And she ended up playing on, I think, two more songs on that record. Well, it really kicks the album off with a very strong start. Yeah, I, I totally think so. Uh, you know, luckily it's the residents, so you don't... It's not about, like, as we call them, the business front-loading. You know, meaning like, here's the hits. Cause, though I think the second song, which actually includes Carla singing, which I like to think was my idea, is um, uh, she sings like just a brilliant operatic voice on it. as a song called uh, Voodoo Doll. And, uh, but anyway... But we didn't record them in order. But in any case, uh, you know, but the record was taking shape. And my old cohort is a woman named Lori Hall, who I recorded a couple of records with in a band called Knife and Fork. And also a different band that we worked in together that was called Ruby Howell uh, more recently. And... uh, and you know she fit right in, and she kind of worked on a song called "Missing Me," and uh, so anyway, so you know, I was bringing in those people. I knew the person that ended up singing a song. I thought he did a really good job. I'm trying to remember what it's called right now. I know it's the first song that I do. But uh, and it's a guy named Peter Whitehead saying that he's a British gentleman uh, who I kind of know around San Francisco. And he's actually a very good tileist. I don't know what the t- word for that is. And he did he had done the tiles in my bathtub around my bathtub. So, but Randy Rose, some way similar, I think. So I can't remember what the song is called, but it doesn't matter. But that's most of the guests on that record. Do you foresee any uh, re-collaboration with anyone in the future? Sure. You know, it just depends, you know, what you need. Um, I mean, I can tell you right now, there's a guy that I used to do some collaboration with. Uh, I mean, really just exploiting his talents. There's a guy around town uh, by the name of Ralph Carney, who was a multi-instrumentalist. Kind of could play something interesting on any any instrument you could put in front of him. And he sadly, about a year and a half ago, uh, well, he had moved to Portland and tripped down a flight of stairs and landed on his head and died. 
so ever since then, besides the tragicness of that, um, he's been, um, you know, I'm really angry with him because I miss him for when I was like, he was really good at playing like anything. I want a euphonium, I want Hawaiian guitar, I want this or that. And he could, he could do something, as he would put it, like, I mean, he could play violin. He'd say, I have a violin. I never said, I never call myself a violinist. But he could do enough that it was, like, good in a primitive style that I like better than somebody refined. Yeah. But actually, Sivan is also uh, a very good violinist. She's good. And uh, so I introduced that to the sound, you know. And she's very intuitive. You don't have to say much. I played the violin from the fourth to the eighth grade. It was—it's an incredibly difficult instrument to play well. Okay. It, it takes a lot of—it takes a lot of talent. I would think so. I do not have that talent. <laughs> I would. Only, the only thing when I first met Sivan that I thought was interesting is if I would like. Um, something or say, oh, play something that's like a harmony to this part. You know, like most people I know would go over to a piano and figure out the notes, but she would just pick up her violin and pluck the notes out. You know, just totally by ear. That was her reference point. And so, oh, this is a big-brained person. That's a that's a trained violinist. Yeah. So anyway, that's. Uh, so, I, you know, I had to do with that. I think, you know, as I've learned that I think... Randy Rose. Very uh, important in coming up with the concepts. And he knows what he doesn't want. But he's pretty free about it, you know, because they've probably tried anything, depending on who they've become friends with at that particular time and he's never really uh, rejected any particular idea that I've had that way you know like I, I'm not sure that's going to work you know he just went oh yeah that sounds pretty good okay well maybe you start having some bad ideas and you might reject them oh I got plenty of bad ideas but uh Sometimes on the keyboards or the arrangements, but uh, he was, uh, you know, so it's been pretty smooth that way. I'm kind of, I don't meet, I don't meet any too much resistance, which sometimes is a little scary, because, uh, but you know, I've kind of decided since I've been doing this that uh, when I look like I'm staring out into space, I'm just uh, looking into the past or the future. <laughs> Well, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Hopefully, you'll check back next week. And until then, maybe we won't let another 13 years go by. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Check back soon for the conclusion of the episode and our interview with Eric Drew Feldman. See you then.